0: Three, two, one. Welcome to the nineteenth episode of the good old podcast. It's the thirtieth of June, twenty twenty-one, and my guest today is Kabir Mohammed from Johannesburg in South Africa. Welcome, Kabir.
1: Hi, Mohammed. Uh, nice to nice to be on your show. Hello, Pedro. Hello, hello, Clive. Hello to all your viewers and
0: listeners. Okay, let me introduce Pedro. Pedro is my partner in Portugal in a company called Five Thousand Miles we are an international based company with offices in nigeria, brazil, south africa, our head office is in portugal and we are about to open up our spanish office and uh, we help people network and grow internationally with their businesses. so kabir, let's get to the podcast and start off telling us from the beginning where you, where did you start and where did you how did you land up with the unicorn cup finals? okay. <laughs>
1: All right, uh, Mohamed, uh, thanks for affording me this opportunity to share my story. Um, Anyway, so uh, I was uh, a medical student actually, and I dropped out of university. Um, Then I entered entrepreneurship through some sort of a baptism of fire. I mean, uh, I lost my brother at a young age, and he was running a business which I needed to uh, sort of uh, fill a responsibility and that. uh, dragged me into into uh, business. So I ran his business for about two years, uh, delivered his responsibility to his partners, and uh, then decided to look for other opportunities. Right? So in 2003, the, my, my career started in 2001. By two, 2003, i had entered the hair industry, and I started procuring uh, a brand of hair extensions locally and distributing it. And uh, I took that brand national, uh, grew into that industry for about 15 years. Um, in around 2006, 2008, sorry, uh, we got acquired by one of the large uh, independent uh, cosmetic producers in South Africa. Um, then as time moved on, the Chinese started coming directly to to South Africa. And I mean, there were a whole lot of challenges that emerged with uh, uh, porous borders and uh, uh, sort of Corrupt, uh, what you call it, uh, customs <laughs> and things like that. So these guys weren't paying their duties, and if you were running a sort of legitimate supply chain and all tax paid, etc., you just weren't able to compete. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I decided, look, I'm going to have to pivot into something else, and I told myself that if I'm pivoting into something, it's got to be something that is uh, that has uh, uh, sort of a, a space in the future. You know, so that that pushed me to tech. I mean, I've always had a flair for it, um, uh, understand it sort of, at an you know uh, at a very genetic level if you want to call it that. So, so I pushed into the tech space and started uh, exploring the blockchain industry and cryptocurrency mm-hmm. around twenty thirteen. Thereafter, set up a company called Blockchain Advisory in around 2017. Uh, We were advising on blockchain projects uh, in various ways, training, uh, corporate uh, development, etc., etc., etc. And uh, uh, then continued with tech, set up a venture capital company in South Africa, which was governed under what is called the Section 12J Amendment to the Income Tax Act. This was a regime that was implemented in 2009. So, grew that venture capital company to an assets under management of 600 million, which is just about 5% of the entire 12J industry. Uh, 12J has now come to an end due to a sunset clause in the regime. So, prior to that, I started pursuing uh, interests uh, further with Tech and VC and syndicates etc and that is how i sort of align myself with startup.network and uh, network vc as well as uh, the unicorn uh, cup you know so unicorn cup and startup.network is a network that is based out of eastern europe but is uh, has presence in both silicon valley and run by delaware corporation so that's that's the that's how i got involved with the unicorn cup uh, I, I, I'm sure you know you guys I don't know let me how much you know about the Unicorn Cup but the Unicorn Cup is the largest online startup battle in the world uh, okay. was, tell us was more running, about that. it yeah. was running before the COVID period and they used to host live events in various different countries uh, globally
0: Clive and could when, you call up that Unicorn Cup and uh, let's have a look at what yeah
1: Yeah. What so when when the when the when um, uh, the The pandemic hit this forced the unicorn cup online and this was actually great because it allowed them to pivot internationally so now uh unicorn cup happens regionally uh latin america north america western europe uh eastern europe uh pan uh, pan asia pacific and uh, pan africa and MENA regions so those are the regional cups here. that's the one that's exactly it. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's have a look here. So that that's a page of the upcoming battles. So right. as you can see today there's the Germany Switzerland sorry Switzerland Austria battle which is a regional battle. Uh, the UAE, if you look, these are unicorn pitches. So what happens is the unicorn pitch is the first step in the process where it's not regional actually it's local uh local pitchers then move on to their regional battle as you see below mm-hmm. western europe for example is a battle not a pitch right mm-hmm. and the winners of the of the regional battles go into the global final which is the unicorn cup
2: and they get funding Maybe. they get funding at the end of the competition
1: so so let's understand that this is a competition exactly that right so Funding doesn't come from Unicorn Battles or the Unicorn Cup. But what happens is the startups are now exposed to a very large international group of VCs, angels, etc., incubators and all of that. So winning the Unicorn Cup, obviously, after they've been through the pitches with various different judges from uh, international VCs, including... uh, um, what you call it, certain judges from the large corporates like Microsoft, etc. cetera. And uh, when they win that, they get positioned for funding. Mm-hmm. So
2: the rest is up to
1: them. I mean, if they continue with the network that was created through this ecosystem, keep in touch with the judges, keep in touch with the VCs that participated and continue that conversation, uh, a total of $263 million was raised by uh, unicorn cup uh, participants since the unicorn cup has begun so that's pretty decent Mm
2: -hmm. so uh, going back to to your hair business you were able to sell it yes how how did that happen this process of selling the business sorry i did
1: not say i sold the business i'm i'm confused that as to why you're asking that question i did not sell the business i Ah. shut it down
2: Ah, okay, okay, okay. I, I yes, it yes, was like bought by uh, a cosmetics. Uh, no,
1: initially, oh, you mean the initial acquisition. Okay, I thought you meant towards the end. Yes, so they, they bought into the company because they had a very large distribution network with the chains. They did not understand the hair industry. And uh, it was a line of best fit because we're supplying to the same end uh, consumer as well as through the same uh, sort of supply chain. So um, when you say, how was I able to sell it? That question is a bit vague to me. I mean, are you asking me the mechanics of the transaction or
2: no? did it happen? Why they found it it it. interesting? Uh, Yeah.
1: Oh, I see. So so anyway, so this larger cosmetic group wanted to enter the dry hair industry. And uh, I mean, we've been in the industry since 1989 as a family. So although I I started my own business in 2003 in the hair business, my family, meaning my uncles, were in it prior to that, you know. So there was a lot of experience that came with this. I mean, you're talking now close on to 42 years uh, experience in the industry, which is way ahead of of, uh, most other hair distributors. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the China phenomenon is so strong that uh, because you're getting your products from there, you can't actually compete with your source, right? So uh, that's what happened here. It happened in the USA. They took over a lot of brands in the USA. I mean, there was a brand called Sleek, which was a UK-based brand. They got acquired by the Chinese uh, uh, supplier. You know, so things like that happened. And the the business, the industry evolved. Mm. Um, In those days, there were very few people importing hair extensions into South Africa and today i mean people are flying over filling their bags and coming through so the entire sort of distribution model has changed you know people have become less brand conscious uh within the hair industry and moved to bundle hair things like that so a lot of dynamics changed but uh, i felt i wanted to change out of the usual uh, trading model and and moving into a different space and that was more what sort of pushed me towards uh, mm-hmm. venture capital and, and tech. Mm-hmm.
2: But in, in a way, it's uh, an interesting uh, highlight from the point of view that uh, it's, it looks like globally, the distribution model is getting, uh, is, getting is eliminating Saturator. distributors, is eliminating the middleman. So basically the source tries to sell directly in the market. And
0: this is in any industry. Uh, yeah, could it, it could be in the clothing industry, yeah. hair industry. Uh, in in almost all industries, this is happening where Chinese are moving throughout the world uh, as as a supplier. Nice. Yes. Right? So even in South Africa, they would first come to Johannesburg, but now you're finding Chinese more into inland uh, rural areas. So.
1: So uh, another interesting development that has happened lately, I mean, today it was announced by Vodacom that they are partnering with Alipay, you know, so Vodapay and Alipay will now form a partnership and uh, the Vodacom super app, which is the new marketplace that they are sort of proposing, right, would probably have seamless integration to Alibaba. And if you've got Alipay, Alibaba and that sort of seamless integration, all that's required now is logistics partners. So, mm-hmm. so, I mean, to get a product from a factory in China to a consumer in South Africa is no longer impossible. You know? mm-hmm. So, like you say, Pedro, anybody thinking about business has to understand the, the disruption that is uh, sort of uh, taking place on our financial transacting ecosystems, on our supply chain ecosystems. All of those things have to be re-looked at. you know, know, when you're setting up a new business. Obviously, I mean, you know, you're still going to have your mom and pop stores, there'll still be physical trade happening, and that's not going to end because it will take a while for this sort of, call it digital or uh, internet sort of evolution, revolution to take place, you know, but I think that this pandemic and COVID has sort of uh, lit a spark in that you know, in, in, in that sort of uh, way mm-hmm. where we've been forced to actually make certain uh, evolutions in the way we live, in the way we interact. This meeting in itself is yes. is representative of that fact, you know. I mean, uh, people have had con- teleconferencing and those sorts of things in the past, but it was always reserved for those in the boardrooms at Wall Street mm-hmm. or someone with a, uh, what you call it, uh, Cisco network yes. uh, connection. You know, I mean, if you remember back in the days, you'd walk into a boardroom and there'd be a Cisco sort of uh, uh, device on the table. And, and that's the way we teleconference or and video conferencing. I mean, come on, that was reserved for the American presidency. You know? <laughs> so here we are feeling like uh, presidents and kings and uh, uh, interacting across uh, a broadband network. So, I mean, the rate of change and, and the rate at which change is actually occurring uh, is, is increasing at an accelerated pace, <laughs> right? So, so I, think, I think we're in a very pivotal sort of time for hum- humanity. Not not only not only with regard to the pandemic, but with regard to our technological evolution, you
0: know. 100%. I think the word that comes to mind, or, or two three words, is scalability. So tech uh, coming onto the scene in the last uh, so many years through the public, right? So when tech has become affordable, if you look at like cell phones, data uh right by data being more affordable in africa more people have access to the internet more people own phones that is equal to scalability in a commerce world so even me coming from a clothing background you coming from a hair background we were traders we used to wholesale we used to buy at source in china import and find a consumer here there was no tech involved uh, the scalability was we had to just find more customers and increase your revenue, increase your sales. Here with tech, you have a scalable model where the more example, if you own the app, okay, if you owned Uber, the more people download Uber, the bigger your business grows, okay. Mm. And uh, you know the macroeconomists economists right now are mentioning a few words: Metcalf Law, adoption effect, network effect, okay. And then there's another word that has been coming out: gamification, okay. So where, you know, people enjoy some form of game and challenge, okay, and uh, like a point system. You know, like a lot of airlines have a point system with the credit card. And what I'm noticing is that is something like in people's subconscious, they take out a Diners Club credit card just to get the airline miles, with Skywood miles and that. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because you could be a big grown man but you're paying more for a diner's club or a Chase Manhattan bank card because you want that airline miles because you want to achieve platinum status. It's a rich, I would say a rich man's game, gamification, okay? So that these are the words that are coming across uh, more frequently than 10 years ago in business. Scalability, adoption effect, network effect, uh, gamification. Uh, the other thing, which while we're on it, I just Googled, you mentioned unicorn cup. So for the listeners out there, uh, the definition of a unicorn is a term used in the venture capital industry to describe a startup company with the value of over a billion dollars. Right. So let's just talk about that for a minute when you're talking about unicorn cup. Explain to people what is a unicorn.
1: OK, <clears throat> so, I mean, a unicorn is the definition is as simply as you described it, right? But obviously, uh, let, let's maybe let's maybe chat about what it what what makes a unicorn rather. Uh, right. Yes, yes. Okay. So give people
0: that the feel so, of uh, your hair business or my clothing business in the past hmm. wouldn't really fit the definition of a unicorn. That's what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. Look, this this uni the unicorn is is a term that has uh, arisen out of the VC and tech industry, right? I mean, one can understand why the the name was used unicorn because it is something rare and unique, right? So, and 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 the hunter that finds the unicorn is a prized hunter, you know. So so that's 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 why it's referred to as a unicorn. And like you say, a unicorn is a is a startup company that uh, sort of moves to a valuation of beyond a billion dollars, right? Mm. Generally, generally, I mean, um, what happens is these these companies need to be disrupting something or the other, you know. It's a good word, and, disruption. And, yeah. right. So, so, I mean, that's one thing, or one criteria that would make a unicorn. The other criteria is mass adoption, right? So, the more people that start using uh, the technology, the greater the value of that technology, right? Hundred percent. But However, we we find that a lot of these sort of opportunities are available even in sort of emerging markets. But unfortunately, those companies do not get to Unicorn stage or unicorn status purely because they lack access. So while the idea may be great, it may be scalable, it may be able to gain mass adoption, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but doesn't, right? I mean that would have been a potential unicorn. Hence, the need for Just something. because
0: of funding? Is it? Sorry, one second, moment. Yeah. I was
1: answering that before. I'm saying, hence the need for unicorn cup. You understand, or or things like this. Because what happens is you bring those potential unicorns to the world stage, right? And imp- and reduce the barriers of access that they have to funding, to incubation, to to a development team, mm. to a market to a budget etc to even even just knowing how to actually take a product of that nature to market so they may have the greatest idea but unfortunately don't know how to go to market with mm-hmm. that idea so no it's not just because of funding there are a myriad of factors that that would uh, either contribute to or hinder the potential of a unicorn
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see that uh, you see uh, South African companies achieving that status
1: So so there have been uh, quite a few South African companies that have uh, attained unicorn status I mean look uh, I think I think PayPal PayPal was was one there are a few that came out of here in the earlier days in the in the internet boom right and now now during the this tech boom or the digital boom, if you want to call it that. Um, There are quite a few companies that are being acquired uh, from, uh, what you call it, or or being looked at from international VCs and valued at over a billion dollars. I don't know exactly how many, but there have been. Mm -hmm. Um, I can sort of send that information to you later Mm -hmm. if you want. I just don't have it on hand.
2: But you mentioned PayPal. PayPal was founded in South Africa. Yes, in Cape Town.
1: Okay. It was bought, it was it was bought uh, from what I understand. It was developed in Cape Town. Didn't know that. PayPal was one, and there was one more, the Mark Shuttleworth project. I can't remember what. That was PayPal, right? It was is PayPal Elon Musk?
2: Now, Elon Musk founded a company that merged with PayPal. It was called SomethingX. something X. Okay. Something X. I don't remember exact right. the exact name, but maybe Clive can find a company founded by Elon Musk that merged with PayPal. Something right. with an X, I think. Okay. So, so maybe, merged, maybe I misunderstood CEO. your
1: question. Maybe what you were trying to say is, do I think that we will find potential unicorns arising out of South Africa? And if that was more your question, then yes, I believe so, because the the tech ecosystems are and the startup ecosystems are gaining traction in South Africa. There's a lot more development around it. There's a lot more support around it. So I do believe that with these support structures within the ecosystem, we'll start seeing a lot more innovation coming out of Africa, not just South Africa. I mean, East Africa is also quite a, a hub for for fintech and other other health tech-type opportunities. Uh, obviously, in Nigeria and West Africa yes. and Ghana is also producing a lot of talent. And what people need to understand is that it's not about will South Africa produce a unicorn, because it's quite obvious that the African continent is going to produce many unicorns. The reason being that the African continent faces a lot of challenges uh, in, in, in the way we live as Africans. We've got a lot of problems. And where there's problems, there's entrepreneurs looking for solutions. And when there's entrepreneurs looking for solutions, There's great
2: ideas that turn into something big. Mm -hmm. Nigeria is indeed a very vibrant... Yeah, X.com, that's it. That's why now he has the space X. He puts the X. But his company (laughs) was called X.com. And then uh, at the same time, PayPal was being developed and they decided to merge the two to have a stronger company. And when they merged, uh, Elon Musk became the CEO of the joint company. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good info. Mm-hmm.
0: So tell us, tell us um, some, give us some of the ideas or unicorns that you have come across, uh, you know, sitting through uh, this unicorn cup. We'd just like to know some of the ideas that you've come across, you know.
1: So um, there's a company called Assern, which is a no-code AI solution right uh two founders forbes under uh, 30 under 30. um there's a company called volumetric bio uh volumetric bio uh is uh, basically it's in the biotech industry right uh to do with uh, um predicting predicting uh sort of the di- disease and those sorts of things in the future Right. There's another company called Predictive, which does a similar thing, uh, a company called Hypernova, which produces uh, satellite thrusters that no longer rely on a uh, fossil fuel to, to propel satellites and CubeSats into space. Um, company called Flight Material Sciences, uh, Dan Cohen, amazing company, uh, he's developed a a new type of uh, coating that uh, would reduce the need for uh sort of or, or rather would would increase the time frame over which uh spacecraft aircraft and those sorts of things would would require recoating and could withstand some very tough conditions therefore preparing uh for flight into uh, uh the universe and the galaxy and beyond, you know? Mm-hmm. So stuff like that, yeah. So there's been some interesting stuff out there. I mean, the simplest of things, I mean, the other company was just producing 10 different peptides, right? And and each of those peptides, one single peptide, just a peptide on its own, could become a unicorn, right? Uh, if that peptide solves some sort of a, uh, either a nutritional problem or something like that, and becomes an additive to foods, for example, right? Uh, changes the entire game. That peptide turns into a unicorn overnight. So unicorns are not just companies that exist within the digital space, you know. Of uh, course, a peptide is a real physical product. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a peptide? I don't know what's a, a peptide. Unicorn. So peptides, you know, it's uh, like amino acids, peptides, proteins. It's a it's a building block of. Uh, Okay. Of matter, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, right, it's a building mm-hmm. block. I think a peptide connects proteins, if I'm not mistaken, or okay. connects amino acids. I'm not that. Uh, biotech
2: is uh, like on uh, the savvy bio on, the, on, on, know, the,
1: on the technicalities of it, but uh, yeah, it's obviously peptides are peptides, proteins, amino acids. These are used in various different uh, products that that we use today, consumer products, etc.
0: So have you followed any of uh, the unique winners or any of the top winners of these uh, Unicorn Cup and seen them emerge into uh, proper unicorns? Uh, you know, can you just share if you've seen any and what was the product that became, uh, from, from all your experience, what was the one that stood out? And you were fascinated with it. That's a tough question, Mohammed.
1: It's a very tough question. I mean, you know, there's just so much out there. I, I can't actually tell you that this one just stood out and this one gripped me, right? Mm. But maybe, maybe I can tell you of a story outside of the uni because you're sort of asking me within. But maybe that question okay. is somewhere else. So, right. if, if the question is sort of reframed, I could answer it. But uh, Go for it. let's Go just for say it. along this journey, you know, I mean, yeah. not restricted to the Unicorn Cup contest because. You see, Unicorn Cup contests would include early stage, uh, uh, growth stage sort of investments that are not even ready to be unicorns. They'll take another two or three years to actually sort of become, Mm. you know. Unicorns are not born overnight, right? Take a thing like Clubhouse. This is a story, and this maybe will demonstrate the point. I mean, Clubhouse is quite an old app, right? Zoom, for that matter. These apps are not new. They've been there way pre-COVID, right? But COVID and this pandemic sort of mm. accelerated disruption yeah. and accelerated their journey towards unicorn status, you see? So the unicorns or the potential unicorns that I've seen within the unicorn cup, uh, I, I see a lot of potential unicorns that may emerge over the next three, three to four years, right? But that's why we move more towards Silicon Valley Syndicate Club, and that's where we're getting involved in companies that are just about to to become unicorns. So you're getting involved at the $100 million stage, right? Uh, One needs to understand the stage of investment also within the VC uh, environment. I mean, you've got uh, sort of idea stage investments, and, and there would be some of those pitching at the Unicorn Cup, right? You get early-stage investments, which are either at MVP or proof of concept, and they would participate at Unicorn Cup, right? So there's a very large sample. Now, I told you the participants of Unicorn Cup have only raised $263 million. So none of them are really at Unicorn stage yet, right? They, they're on their way uh, to Unicorn stage. But like Clubhouse, up until uh, last year, December, was had a valuation of under $100 million. By the end of January, it had a valuation of over a billion dollars, and that's because Elon Musk dropped in on someone's clubhouse, and this sent the entire clubhouse concept viral, and the next thing you know, adoption adoption uh, was the order of the day, and now clubhouse's value is a billion dollars, so it turns into a unicorn. But it was lying in wait, and it was hiding for a very long time. Like a Dogecoin. So, Yeah, yeah, somewhat, somewhat. There's a difference, though. Uh, A Dogecoin, Dogecoin's... You see, Dogecoin, yes, Elon Musk did pump it, right? But what he understood is that many, many, many people are holding very, very, very cheap Dogecoin. And the community is so big that if he stirs that community, there's going to be a lot of momentum. I agree. Because Dogecoin is one of the first cryptocurrency projects. It's an early day project. Mm -hmm. And I mean we all know now how Dogecoin actually became something. Dogecoin's existence today is testament to the power of the crowd. Because like this guy said, I just put it out there. I mean, I I didn't really have any intention. But the crowd took over and the crowd decided what they're going to do with this project. And democracy prevailed. And uh, I mean now with this new cryptocurrency bull run we've seen of what's it 5,000% on Dogecoin so what's it 500X I mean that's just some crazy stuff but that's just the power of the crowd
2: you know mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm. I think Elon yeah. understood that yeah. but they didn't understand that he understood that and when everything came crashing down they blamed it on him mm-hmm. it wasn't his fault was it all he said is Doge to the moon and everybody reacted mm-hmm. Right, and the natural course of things float from so there. Do you
0: think buyers and sellers? Okay, Elon Musk made that comment. He uh, sent Dogecoin uh, literally to the moon and crashing back down into the ocean. Uh, but sorry,
1: it didn't crash back down into the ocean because it's not gone anywhere
0: near. Yes, zero.
1: It's it's it's, it's highs of last year.
0: Listen, yes, it yeah. hasn't
1: even gone anywhere near its highs of so but it's still way beyond still alive w- more than alive because yeah. now it's it's a relevant this brand project already is now capitalized yeah. you hmm. see i mean you had this 100 billion coins floating around clive what's
0: 10. the value of Dogecoin at the moment just search there
2: in euros is 21 cents
0: 21 cents no the market value, I'm market just value. say the market, it's value. the market cap
2: yeah it's so market cap. so
1: an impo- important point, Mohammed, I want to make uh, with regards to this is that a lot of people ask, "What thirty-one backing,
2: billion? Yeah, I know, I'm what's backing the project?
1: Billion. You know, mm. what's the underlying value of the project, right? Mm. And and one needs to mm. come to a fundamental understanding of how value is perceived or derived in order to understand what is actually, as they say, backing backing this project. You know, so. In this case, it's, it's literally the power of the people that backs this project. They believe that that currency should have value and uh, they're going to continue trading in it. Yeah, yeah. And mm. that's what gives it value. Other than that, there's nothing much. With, uh, but the,
2: the fundamentals are actually not bad, the fundamentals of Dogecoin. Because Dogecoin, you, you have a family of coins that are three coins. Is Bitcoin. Then is Litecoin that is a derivation, and Dogecoin is a derivation of Litecoin. So it's Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin. They, they somehow they they forked the, the three of them. And you know the, the fundamentals of Dogecoin is just an accelerated Litecoin, and without the maximum cap. Litecoin so, is so yeah, accelerated yeah. Bitcoin, and and Dogecoin is accelerated Litecoin without the top cap. But the maximum inflation now is below 5%. So it's not really that inflationary. So I can see why it has value. Yeah.
1: So I'll supplement what you're saying and go one step further. I mean, this, for example, Bitcoin was initially created as some sort of a currency. So was Litecoin. Mm-hmm. So was Dogecoin. Yeah. Ethereum was not created as a currency. That's it. People thought that it was a currency at the time and treated it as another Bitcoin. But this Ethereum, is a very big misconception with the public. Yeah. But yeah, Ethereum yeah. was created to actually bring uh, some sort of governance to the transacting over blockchains, That's and it. that governance in the form of a smart contract. So, okay. so, and then, and then there are many other projects that exist within the blockchain slash cryptocurrency industry that are also uh, totally different i mean these are not actually projects right these are tokens i mean they're not currencies they tokens but right? yes. uh, but i think i think i think even the man on the streets understanding has evolved from 2017 and 2018 now in 2021 i see people understanding the difference between a a cryptocurrency and a blockchain sort of tokenized
0: uh uh, project, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So so you get, yeah, I think you break it up into smart contracts mm-hmm. uh, and then you get payment bundles and uh, you know, DeFi. So there's yeah. different sectors in the crypto. So, so
1: this DeFi, I mean, if you really want to understand Ethereum's potential, right? Ethereum's potential is the entire DeFi industry because it's the building block to decentralize finance, right? I mean, how are you going to decentralize finance without a methodology of of contracting, right? Whether it be peer to peer or institution to consumer or whatever. You need you need that transaction to to be controlled without intervention and without the mutability and those sorts of things, right? So I think if people are looking at investing in the cryptocurrency industry now, I think it, Ethereum still got a lot of growth potential, you know. Um, I, I, I could easily see uh, five-digit potential on, on Ethereum in dollar terms.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? yeah.
1: I mean, two to three years' time, the Ethereum project is going to be one of the largest uh, projects on Earth.
2: Yes. Mm. i agree agree. because you know in the end if you organize the crypto space you have on one side bitcoin and ones that are similar with bitcoin that's bitcoin litecoin dogecoin and bitcoin cash maybe and the other side
0: maybe currencies would it fall under
2: let's say currencies currencies? and the other side let's say uh, distributed apps or smart contracts, Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot, whatever. So it's not it's not difficult to find who are the top three on each side, and you have a mm. ballpark of what matters. Yeah, yes. Top three or top four, let's say. I
0: actually, God. All the like
2: rest. That. So on the uh, it's basically this is it. You know, if you think about it, is Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin. Maybe Bitcoin so, Cash, but Bitcoin Cash has a mark, has like a bad this, reputation.
0: Right? Yeah, it's a smart contract bundle. And the other side
2: is Ethereum, Polkadot, Cardano, and Solana, and I don't know what. But it's basically these ones. Then you have thousands of tokens, but it's different uh, level of, of 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 relevance. Let's say.
1: So so there's something else that is interesting about that, Pedro, is. When people talk of shitcoins, right? There's a lot of shitcoins, I agree. But there are a lot of ideas that are great mm-hmm. that could use the yes. shitcoin channel to actually raise money, Yes, you know? Mm-hmm. So so a lot of these shitcoins, there's been scams, etc. I mean, you needed to be a little bit conscientious of how you actually participated in these ventures, right? I mean, they have at least some sort of a filter, Is it available on Binance? Is it available on any other exchange? You know, those sorts of things, you know? Uh, Is it in the, uh, you know, market cap? Those sorts of things are important because, I mean, it's very difficult to navigate which of these will actually, I mean, Polygon Matic, for example, right? Uh, In 2019, uh, when it was Matic, right? It was probably the only coin I held in my portfolio, Mm -hmm. right? I'd sold everything and converted to Matic and held and held and held right up until last year, June, when unfortunately my hands couldn't hold anymore. And I cashed out, right? But I held it for a while because I believed in that project. I mean, this was a project that was going to sort of speed up the transactions on the Ethereum network, right? The development team was great. I'm listening, but but I need to
2: power my camera. I see that my camera is about to shut off. So, but let's go on.
1: (laughs) No problem. So so look at what happened with Matic and it came in now to the top ten. So mm. it's not only look at only the top ten. You gotta look at other projects, you gotta do your due diligence, you've got to keep mm. on hunting, you gotta keep on searching, but have a criteria that allows you to actually make a decision, mm. right? And 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 also allow yourself some flexibility to sort of dabble in in, in, in things At pure risk, you know, I mean, you need to decide how do I manage my investable uh, capital, you know, Mm -hmm. and and sort of segment it and say, okay, look, up to 3%, I don't mind. I mean, if I come across something sexy and it resonates with me and it looks good and I believe that this thing's going to be something, dive in, you know. Uh, Another 10, 15% you're putting into your long-term type portfolio that... That uh, Pedro is, is speaking about taking the top four DApps, the top four cryptos, yeah. and uh, the top four what uh, smart contracts or whatever the case may be, you know, and investing there and leaving that for the long term. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess it's all up to your own risk appetite. There's a few other things that would impact your age, what you do, what's your outlook, what you, where do you see yourself in ten years? These are all questions we have to answer because. I mean, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. For example, I mean, I've changed my entire approach to investing business and life totally, right? Mm. I mean, if you tell me, go invest in those, I'm like, I'm not interested, right? I mean, I'm now, I've realized how important it is to invest in people, right? Because as long as we keep investing in people, yes. right, these innovations and this growth and this development will continue. So from my side, what I do now is I've sort of said I've get garnered all this experience in various different sectors of industry and business. I've I've built startups from nothing. I mean, uh, I've exited companies. I've shut down companies. There's many there's many challenges that I've been through on this on this trajectory, as well as many successes. So, I've now realized that, firstly, I can live and be wherever I want to be, right? I'm never going to go hungry, ever, right? Because uh, if it gets to a point, well, I'm going to, I know how to plant vegetables, right? Mm-hmm. And I've planted, grown, and eaten from my garden, right? So, I'm now looking at sort of, let's say, sharing my experience, at the same time monetizing it, Right? But I don't want to. I don't want to monetize myself and make billions out of it, like become an Anthony Robbins type coach. But I ask myself the million-dollar question: If you give a dollar to a million people, is your impact greater than a million dollars to one, or hundred thousand dollars to ten, etc.? For me, that's the million-dollar question. So I've chosen to give my time to people that I spot potentially and helping them achieve what they want to achieve just through guidance, a uh, little bit of experience, using networks to accelerate uh, in terms of connections. So one example is uh, this hypernova company that I spoke to you about was being incubated out of Stellenbosch Space Labs and they needed international exposure. So I actually got them in the running with Techstars and they participated and and won uh, an opportunity to be incubated by Techstars, which is phenomenal, you know. So, and that was just by making a call to Bonnie Rosen and saying, hey, please, we've got a great South African startup here, give them an opportunity, right. And, and she gave it to them, literally got them onto the program within 24 hours, I mean, got them to the application. And within a week, they were interviewed and then interviewed again. The next thing you know, they incubated by one of the foremost incubators in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I took nothing out of that. I mean, what I did is for my time that I consulted, I just charged for that. You know, okay. and any any other benefit that comes out of this, I'm looking at contributing to shared benefit and collaborative benefit. It's no longer about just me or just you, for that matter. I mean, I can have. $10 million dollars in my sorry guys this video is starting to give a bit of trouble um but i'm only worth the impact i've made and the relationships i have that is what makes me truly wealthy.
2: i totally agree in the end it's about the impact do we have an impact in others or not if you don't have an impact in others you know it's very poor let's say I was, in fact, having this discussion here with a youngster in the, in the company. This is a guy that just joined. And sometimes when people join, I just have a conversation with them. And uh, I was asking the guy, what, is, what do you want to achieve? I said, oh, I want to have four apartments rented so that I feel safe. This is fine. What's the impact in others? I couldn't answer. So it's, to me, it's a poor dream because, you know, what's the impact on other people? I cannot uh, name one single person from two decades ago that got famous because he owned apartments. That's what I told the mm. guy. I was a bit shocked. <laughs> Guys, unfortunately, this camera is just no, shut don't down. Don't worry about the funny. camera. The camera is not yeah, important. Yeah, we can carry
1: on talking. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. I mean, you, you've, you've seen my face now and you know that it's not uh, necessarily important that I be on video. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. okay. I'm not contributing to the aesthetics of this group, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll remain blank.
2: The only one that Kurt contributes is, is Mohammed Banner. <laughs> I can yeah, bring some weights to the podcast. Resident, uh, GQ <laughs> model.
0: <laughs> hey, no, no, nothing like that. Let's get back to this. Uh, I've got a question for you. So in the Bitcoin space or crypto space, right, uh, and, and once you go onto Twitter, or once I was introduced to Twitter It was just life changing Okay So I had been on Instagram before uh, LinkedIn is just there It's very corporate uh, I've never been a corporate person Being more of an individual business person uh, And I got onto Twitter And then you get these Bitcoin maximalist people Who's like It's Bitcoin Laser eyes Bitcoin only You know what I'm talking about Pedro Right yeah, yeah. But like Wait, it's like be all and end all of Bitcoin. Uh, Some people are just too extreme for me, like Max Kaiser from RT Channel, just like gets hysterical and too much energy, just screaming on the stage and F everyone else, F Elon Musk, F this, and you know, it's just Bitcoin and be all. Okay. (laughs) This guy's a maxi. (laughs) Yeah, this guy's a maxi, right. (laughs) <laughs> I I, want to take the credit as the, the prophet that gave the Bitcoin religion to Pedro. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> I mean, you're with us then, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because I, I remember sitting in Joburg on a phone call and I'm telling Pedro about Bitcoin and he's like, crypto and Forex is equal to a scam. And I'm like, no, man, just listen to me. No, no, but you when hear? I said that,
2: it's no, no, true. No, no, it
0: was early stage. Yeah, no, I remember. Actually, everyone, I remember that I mean, talk. Everyone knows about Bitcoin from 2010, 2013, whatever. People, uh, only when you go and study Bitcoin and then you take the time to study. So so I even, I'm, there's so many people that you know, hear of Bitcoin. But I say they, listen, they hear it from the media or their friends. And you know, those journalists that write in the newspapers or the journalists that write online
2: articles, the problem is they haven't spent 100 hours studying Bitcoin. But, but just just to clarify, when you said that, when, what I was trying to say is that whenever I see people at the time talking about Bitcoin or about crypto in general, it was scammers everywhere. Yes. He was scammer. Yes. I don't remember what even you reply when I said that. No,
0: no, no. But even today, okay, when I say today, in the last one month, there's been a scam in South Africa by two guys, and they scammed 50 billion Rand, okay? So three billion dollars out of people, okay. And their company was called AfriCrypt. Okay. Yeah. So they scammed three billion US dollars. It came on Forbes, it came on Bloomberg, and these guys disappeared. But then they give the crypto space such a bad name, okay? And when I get all these articles, so like 20 people will send me the article on WhatsApp and I don't even need to open it. I know what it's about. And I'm like, the first rule in Bitcoin is not your keys, not your Bitcoin, okay? But the people that went and put 3 billion US dollars with this Afri Crypt, they never took 50 hours to go and study what the hell is cryptocurrency and what is Bitcoin. So, in a way, I know it sounds bad, but if you don't take the time to study, then you deserve to make mistakes. I'm not (laughs) saying that you deserve to lose $3 billion. Sounds bad. But you need to take the time to learn something yourself. Okay. But let's get back to this whole thing about Bitcoin maximalists. That there's this Bitcoin maximalist out there. And then there's people that talk about the whole open space and which Kabir was mentioning. And that's where we're going to bring Kabir back in here. Where, hey, Bitcoin's just one thing. It's, I would call it, digital gold. And there's this whole other space of smart contracts and blockchain and DeFi. So what would you say to the people out there that are just Bitcoin maximalists, Kabir? Okay, so what I would say to them is this, right?
1: let's understand this with a sort of, tra- from a traditional paradigm, right? And like you say, Bitcoin, you see it as digital gold, right? So, okay, good point. So there's gold, there's silver, there's commodities, whatever, right? And then there's stocks, right? So you've got the NASDAQ, you've got the Dow Jones, there's many different asset classes within the traditional ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have to apply that same sort of an analogy, to the blockchain space or the cryptocurrency space, and you look at coin market cap from top to bottom, you realize that there are projects within there that will mimic, uh, in a digital fashion, will mimic asset classes like gold uh, or things like that. I mean, there's there's a project called Upland, right, which is effectively a project in the metaverse that sells you property which is registered on the upland blockchain now you're a digital property owner in the metaverse right so just repeat that's that. a different you
0: cut off for a minute just repeat i that. say
1: repeat uh, the okay so upland is a project within the metaverse right? right that sells you property right which is registered on a blockchain and now you own a piece of property in the metaverse right so what I'm trying to say is that that's a different asset class. That's now digital property, if you want to call it okay. that, okay. right? And and then you've got all these other projects within the blockchain space. For example, let's take uh, Decentraland. So Decentraland yes. is another marketplace for NFTs, but it's also uh, it's also sort of a precursor to metaverse type int- interaction. You know, I mean, you're gonna get a lot of the metaverse uh, sort of development out of projects like Decentraland, right? Uh, It's it's, it's preparing that metaverse ecosystem. Okay, Mm -hmm. these are all building blocks, right? So that's a company, if you want to call it that, but it's not a company, it's a project, right? So things have become decentralized. Ownership has become decentralized, right? The way we trade these assets has changed. Previously, in order to trade the asset, you would need a brokerage account with a broker who would have access to the JSE and has a straight uh, license and an FSCA license and this and that. Now, you've got ordinary people on the streets uh, gaining access to different type of asset classes. Obviously, within that ecosystem, there's going to be a hell of a lot of scamming. The reason there's a hell of a lot of scamming is because there's a hell of a lot of opacity and lack of understanding as to where I'm actually putting my money. So you bu- you're bound to have scammers take advantage of an environment like that, right? So as an investor, you need to be prudent. Sure, a lot of people have lost their money in cryptocurrency, but there's been so many people that have gone from zero to euro and have developed other businesses out of their profits. So destinies have changed. So where you one guy will argue that I've been scammed, the other guy will say, "But well, I made a billion. You know?
0: Interesting so, point. Very I interesting mean, point. To
1: try and figure out the ones... I mean, sometimes it's just luck, right? Dumb luck, like the guy forgets his wallet key and wakes up a billionaire a couple of years later, right? That's proper <laughs> dumb luck. But then you get people who are actually investigating these projects, looking at the development, looking at the stage of development, looking at the potential, etc., 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 like you would do a due diligence on any other... Stocks or any other uh, private business that you want to buy or whatever it is, you'll have a set of parameters, you'll have a filter, and you'll have a due diligence process. So there are people hunting blockchain projects on that same basis. And remember something else. There's a lot of non-blockchain projects that have been funded through the cryptocurrency funding channel, if you want to call it that. You understand, it's not only cryptocurrency and blockchain. Right? I mean, some other type of tech businesses have raised money via these tokens and invested in other types of projects. You know, It's not limited to blockchain is what I'm saying. It's a new transacting methodology. It's a new investing methodology. And it's a new fundraising methodology. And a lot of it is unregulated and is sort of the momentum
0: of this is driven by the crowd.
1: Governments I think, will I think that's an interesting
0: stop. word, right? Interesting word, which is a, like a point. It's unregulated, but that's the beauty of it. And it could be a downfall also. Okay. So because nobody owns, like has control over, let's use Bitcoin as example. Okay. There's no single person responsible for Bitcoin. Even a global power like China, if they say we're banning Bitcoin, Bitcoin does not stop. Yes. Okay. And no one person or no one country can stop it. Okay. So it has, its. that's the positives. It has uh, neg- pros and cons. But one thing that's, uh, you know, come to my mind today, okay, it's if the future nomads, okay, nomads meaning people that want to live off a laptop and travel the world, okay. There's no quicker way, I see, okay, of owning assets uh, and liquidating everything you own within 10 minutes if you want, okay, Uh, besides the crypto space. So if you had, uh, whatever, 1,000 shares in Tesla or you had shares on Sasol Petroleum in South Africa, on a Saturday night, you cannot sell that share, Okay. Uh, or when the markets are closed between Friday afternoon and Monday morning the market is closed the JSE is closed or stock markets are closed whereas the crypto space is the only market that I uh, this is the way I'm finding it now you know it's dawning upon me that runs 24 hours seven days a week okay and with that comes the
1: opportunity of a four billion dollar scam
0: Yes. I agree. But you know what? When uh, this is what I was telling my dad the other day and a few other guys. OK, when um, what was this guy's name? Bernie Madoff, OK, was one <laughs> of the most trusted people sitting in New York. He was uh, on the board of the stock exchange of New York, of America. Nasdaq. Right? He pulled one of the biggest scams or Ponzi schemes in the world. Uh, okay, it's there in the top 10, I would say, right, Pedro? Bernie Madoff, world-famous Ponzi scheme, okay? Biggest, right? But he did it with U.S. dollars. But people don't stop using U.S. dollars after that. He didn't do it in rands or or pounds. He did it in dollars. But you don't hate the dollar because Bernie Madoff did the scam. It's just the currency used, Mm -hmm. okay? So don't hate crypto or Bitcoin because... Somebody lost three of oh, people lost three billion dollars worth of crypto in the last one month in South Africa. Okay, don't hate the currency, you hate, uh, like you would say, people should have done their own due diligence before giving Bernie made off their money, or people should have been more responsible donate or the not currency, so hate The bank,
1: yes, that's
0: it. do the player, hate the game. <laughs> <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game. That's it, right. So it's always been that way. But because this is such an uh, uh, you know, a brand when I say brand new, it's 12 years old, this space, okay? It's so young, okay. Let me let me tell you how young this is, okay. The the market cap of some of the companies in America, like Apple or Microsoft or something, say they two trillion dollars, okay? That's the market cap of one company, and then there's Thousands of companies on stock exchange throughout the world. Okay. If we actually add the market cap of every listed company in the world together, you'd get a figure so many gazillion dollars or whatever it is, right? The market cap of Bitcoin is only $700 billion. It's not even half the size of Apple, of one company. Okay. So it's like people invest money into Apple. People invest money into Tesla. People invest money into Facebook. People invest money into Amazon. But the whole world right now that's invested into a currency of the future, the market cap still half the size of one of these companies. Okay. That tells me how small and young and uh, the seeds just coming out the ground. It's like basically, you know, when a plant just starts showing out the soil. It's like getting discovered. Okay. And there was an tr- interesting scene, uh, saying that I heard the other day. It's when you plant a seed, okay, and if it's a macadamia nut tree, okay, a macadamia nut tree takes 7 to 10 years to bear fruits, okay? But thereafter, it will give you fruit every year for 100 years. Mm-hmm. But when you plant that macadamia nut seed, after six months, you don't dig up the seed to check on the fruit, Okay. You let it have that seven years to grow. And this is the way I see this whole new space, that whoever you are and whatever you're doing in it and you do your research and you invest, you need to give the seed the time it needs to bear the fruits. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on that
2: now? I agree. But I think that's one thing that is important to understand about the Bitcoin maxis, in my opinion, is that Maxis are not investors it's a matter of philosophy so if you look at uh, for example uh, this Mike Max Kaiser or even Michael Saylor is beyond being an investor so I I think the progress it it works like this first stage you don't understand it the moment you talked about uh, with me uh, in 2019 and I said it's it's a scammer I don't remember any answer from you I said, no, it's most scam. I said, I see. it's okay. You uh, it, it just accepted my answer somehow. Or at least I didn't saw this, 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 this. You are wrong. And so I had no tools to move out of that yes, position. Yes, of
0: course.
2: So th- this is exactly how I recall it. I, I, was, I didn't knew enough about Bitcoin, but I knew that there was a lot of scammers around it. First contact you with the person that I knew was you. But I didn't got information to get out of that position. Then the second time was one year later in 2020. Uh, in 2020, uh, I had sought already Michael Seller buying and, um, and uh, the, Jack, the, Dor- Jack, Jack Dorsey, these two guys. And uh, Javokir here in the office. I was telling. So these three guys told me about it. So when you told me, I had already some awareness that, okay, something That's is going on. the second time. I
0: remember having a second conversation with you. Yeah, and
2: this second say, conversation clicked. And yeah. uh, because of this context that I had saw other guys investing, including my own team, uh, I went to study. And the first, let's say, hours of study, if you don't study 100 hours, if you study two hours, your first but, reaction But is, let me
0: add this to you that between the time that I first mentioned to you and the second time, there was a space of so many months, I myself was learning more.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's normal. So you what I'm saying ta- that yeah. the
0: first time, my knowledge was probably limited. Also, yeah. I, I could see something, but maybe I spent 10 hours learning. But it gave me more confidence a few months later to tell me, no, my friend, uh, what I've learned now after 100 hours, you need to pay attention to
2: this. Yes. So I think when someone gets that notion, moves from it's, something I should ignore to it's something I should consider when you are at this stage most people and at least my case your first reaction is this is something that people trade and can make money so they buy and they sell this is exactly. the first feeling that I had and that I think that a lot of people have is I buy I wait six months it doubles in time mm-hmm. I sell it now, you remember,
0: that's what I did in 2017. And, and I think it's normal 000, in this progress. 19,
2: Denial, yeah. then it's just another vehicle investment, for investment. Yeah. Then from here, you can start to understand the fundamentals. And I think you have two pathways. The first pathway is to say, okay, it's still to make, to accumulate wealth, but it's not a trading thing. It's more a long-term thing. And if you stay at that stage, then yes, uh, you should compare uh, Bitcoin with Ethereum, with Polkadot, with Cardano, with Litecoin, with all of this, and you you, you never become a maxi. I think the maxis, that I think none of us here is a pure maxi, have another layer that is political because they want to say, no, 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 no. I only get Bitcoin because the, it's the only one that doesn't make me dependent on other guys. I don't want to be dependent on central banks, but I also don't want to be dependent on Vitalik Buterin, the leader of Ethereum. And for that reason, Ethereum is out because it's just another form of central bank, but it's on a founder. And because of that, for example, the Litecoin, the Litecoin founder sold all his Litecoin to, to be to create a Satoshi-like figure that has no influence on the, on the project. But uh, I think this is the difference of the Maxis, is that the Maxis want to be uh, to, to have a vehicle to be 100% independent and would never trust anyone that manages a project or that has leaders or that has like any kind of uh, close group of people that control it. That's my understanding like I think,
1: I think I think that's quintessentially the problem there is that needs to be addressed or that bitcoin intended to address its centralization control yes uh, uh, fraud uh, those sorts of things right so i mean a person like buterin may hold a lot of the ethereum right yes but in order for him to actually influence the Ethereum network's developments, he has to have more than 50 percent because, I mean, these these projects are controlled by, by the voting structures, right? By how much of – Ethereum is proof of stake, right? So it's a staking structure, right? Um, and if you have majority of the stake, then you can actually change the entire project. Right? So the first time there was a problem with the Ethereum network when that hack took place and X amount of Ethereum coins were stolen. And the Ethereum community then decided
2: Roll back. jointly
1: to mute the transaction and to say that, okay, this never happened. Yes, And that's when Ethereum Classic said, no, you can't mute this transaction. So that particular transaction is still searchable on the Ethereum Classic blockchain. right? <laughs> and they moved off and continued with the project as a hard fork of Ethereum, you know. So it's not necessarily control, but you have to see how the blockchain is designed. Is it a permissioned blockchain? Is it a permissionless blockchain? You know, is it uh, recorded on a distributed ledger? I mean, Ripple is not distributed, right? It's And it's a permissioned blockchain. Yes. So in talking of control, I think you should relate more to Ripple than to Ethereum to be sort of, if you want to say politically correct here yeah, in this in this instance, you know? Or cryptically correct rather. As you're talking cryptocurrencies. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I think I think a project like XRP is is uh probably more uh an example of control and and uh, lack of distribution or or centralization rather. It's centralized.
2: You know? But but so but I understand often. that. Like but but in my feeling, uh, for example, a maxi like Michael Saylor, he will reply to that saying, yes. yeah, I understand he needs 51%. But because right. he has political influence, he can influence the miners, the, the other agents in the network, to align with his own position. And so he, con- he takes control of the network with less than 50 por- 51% because he's a politician. In the way, it's a, he's a politician just because of his sheer... No,
1: I understand. I get what you're saying. But he can only say something like that if he doesn't really understand what's going on. So a person who understands what's going on won't that wouldn't be a comment that would be made. because these are two totally different projects, two totally different asset classes that
0: actually intend to solve two totally different yeah.
2: problems.
0: right? So, and, and, and guys like Raoul Paul, who are ma- macro economists, are now understanding this. They started with Bitcoin. It was everything. Now they've changed their story. And, and this is the thing. People are changing their tunes every so, six so months. So I'm, I'm, I'm not
1: agreeing
0: with you. I think it sounds like you're agreeing with me, but we're
1: saying something totally different. So I'm not actually saying that people have changed and from Bitcoin maximalism, have now started saying, okay, Ethereum also has a space in this. I'm saying that entire way of thinking about it is flawed to start with. Because these are two totally yes, different. Yes,
2: that's it. Things, I agree. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. So, Bitcoin is a king of store of value yes. in the digital world in its own right. Ethereum is, an, is a, it's a, venture. It's
2: a venture. That is a venture. It's
1: developing the smart contract. That's it. Transacting ecosystem. It's totally different. Yes. You can't expect the same behavior from it, you can't expect the same uh, security from it. So, yes, of course, Ethereum has a a little bit more centralization than Bitcoin does. And that is exactly what is sort of keeping the Ethereum project on the vision uh, or the original vision of its founder. Whereas Bitcoin was a project that was designed to be left alone. Yes. Right. And, And over time for those coins to be mined. Right. And for the value to be derived. Ethereum is not that way. You can buy Ether. You don't have to mine Ether in order to increase the number of Ether in circulation. But whereas Bitcoin, in order to increase the number in circulation, you've got to continue mining until the last Bitcoin is mined, at which point it will become finite and no more will be available for circulation. So whatever's there is there. And now that will have to be shared. And human greed will then drive the price Of this particular concept, so I think uh, one guy asked me, "Do you think this will go to million dollars?" My answer was, "Bitcoin will go as far as human greed takes it, simple." Mm -hmm.
2: And yeah, I agree. And and I I think that the the discussion about Marxists and non-Marxists, for example, Michael Seller versus Raoul Paul, there is no wrong or right. It's different people. Roll Paul, like invest- yeah. yeah, Paul is thinking like an investor. Yeah, uh, Roll Paul is thinking like an investor, thinking about what uh, will have more value in the future. Looking at Ethereum like a venture, like a project that will be very influential, and it is it's correct. It, it is at Ethereum will be in very relevant. a diversified
0: relevant. portfolio, he's spending uh, his... but best. he doesn't have
2: like a political perspective or a, a higher level above above money about accumulation of, of money or resources and guys like you see if michael seller or 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 uh, in max Kaiser even more is like they don't even care about the price of bitcoin it's just almost a political thing that uh, this is indestructible no one can we touch to it no one can says. tamper with it there's no leader and it's 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 closer to uh political perspective. Of course, we, there is an investment side to it, but it, it's, I think in terms of, of aspirations is a bit above because they are not optimizing a portfolio. It's not like comparing, is it Ethereum or is it Polkadot? It's, it's not this level of, it, it's above that. It's a, we found something that doesn't depend on anyone else, and we want it, and we want it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit more uh, philosophical, cult like, almost like a religion. Yeah,
0: it is, it is very much like a you, you understand. I see it like that. I mean, you watch the guys on the stage and he's screaming and jumping. and. Because, like no, but but but,
2: but you it. understand, for example, let's say I, I, I start saying, okay, but is Islam I- expanding? Does Islam make sense? You'll get irritated, you start jumping. Because for you is not how much do you make with it, is it's a philosophy and it's a belief system that you identify with it. And guys like Raul Paul are very uh, somehow irritating to a guy like Mike Max Kaiser, because he's, he's, he's uh, touching his belief system.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, not
2: yeah. discussing yeah. macroeconomics he's like saying but but but,
0: but that is <laughs> raul paul's background is a hedge fund manager that's it it's different person yeah. yeah yeah a hedge fund money manager even if he doesn't he knows the brazilian uh, currency is going to be down okay he he looks at the opportunity okay as an yeah. investment, I'll, I'll I'll invest in the Brazilian currency or the South African rand, and he'll play the currency market, and and that's what hedge fund managers do. Yeah. They diversify, they play different things. So that's how Raul Paul is looking at the space.
2: But imagine space. I say, imagine I'm I'm Muslim and say, okay, I have three kids, and okay, let me uh, teach one to be Muslim, but let me te- teach the other one to be <laughs> Christian. And one of them, I'm going to put him on a Buddhist just because it makes sense. I see that by Metcalfe's law, Christians are somehow contracting, but Islam is expanding. So maybe I put two in Islam. This for a hardcore guy is is, is offensive.
1: <laughs> yes. So, so, so the summa you're making is that a, a person who is religiously involved in Bitcoin.
2: Almost politically and religiously. Yeah.
1: To actually uh, sort of shift or expand their perspective. I mean, I think that's that's general, right? I and mean, That yes. would apply to Sporting and Benfica as well. Yeah,
2: that's right. it. Mm-hmm. That's it. They have different. They have a different objective. None of them is wrong. I like to see these discussions because one of them was saying you can be anyone you want to be in life, except if you want to, if you are a role Paul, because they they get so irritated. They Mm. they become like offensive to one another, Mm. but it's really, there's no wrong or right. It's It's just different life objectives. I think it's just different perspectives of life and different political uh, and aspirations, let's say, uh, about the world that's it
1: I say Pedro on that point is it Sporting or Benfica for you
2: no I'm not a fundamentalist in anything I'm from Benfica (laughs) but if Benfica loses against Sporting 10-0 I couldn't care less (laughs)
1: you
2: couldn't tell us. <laughs> he's but more worried about the family, price of bitcoin my
1: family is split you know half the family supports sporting and the other half the family support Benfica. wow so throughout the year everybody is okay until the derby and, 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 and derby day nobody's talking to other.
2: <laughs> but you have some portuguese roots or is this a joke
1: so i don't have you know i don't have portuguese roots we have mozambican roots
2: i was born in mozambique
1: so, so what happened? You, you were born in Mozambique, then maybe you'll remember Bazar do Povo. Uh,
2: well, I left when I was sixty years old, but six. Yeah, so but Bazar my my parents know
1: My great grandfather's business. Okay. And, and uh, uh, in the in the revolution, they moved to uh, to Lisbon. But this was my mother's mother's father. So, I mean, it's the maternal side of the family that's there.
2: <laughs> Very interesting. Another thing yeah, we have in common. based
1: there. I mean, you may know some of them. Uh, like, for example, uh, Sikander Satar, mm-hmm. who is uh, the head of KPMG in...
2: Yeah, in, uh, in Lisbon.
1: China. So he is, he's my mother's first cousin.
2: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Small world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, small world.
2: 5,000 miles actually, apart. Yeah, I was
1: actually in Lisbon in 2019 in October, you know?
2: Oh, really? Cool yeah. Then.
1: that was the last time i visited
2: i think muhammad ban also Hmm, 2019 october maybe november maybe november
0: yeah well
1: i was there for a month and a half so i was there for quite a bit of time yeah next time
0: next time if i'm in lisbon i'll I'll have to go with kabir to to see the muslim community of uh, Lisbon. Get get understanding. I'll, I'll
1: I'll show you both sides of Lisbon. Don't worry. I'll show you all sides of Lisbon, Don't worry.
0: I'll take you.
1: I'll take you to Bairro Alto also if you want. Don't
2: yeah. worry.
1: You tell me where you want to go. I take you. And uh, I spent some time in the Azores Islands, Pedro.
2: Ah, it's beautiful, huh?
1: Yeah, I was there uh, for a week. Seeed and uh, uh, yeah, I spent a week in the Azores. It was really nice.
2: Sometimes I have temptation to buy a property in Azores. I've been oh, resisting that so temptation, but amazing. sometimes comes to me this idea.
0: Madeira is better. Yeah, but look,
1: I mean, oh, Madeira. He has, he has take it from so quickly, right? <laughs> right? After the Azores, they want it,
2: man. I like the, this idea that Azores is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. This
1: Unbelievable. There's
2: something magic about it. Madeira yeah. is more touristic. I agree Madeira with what is Clive better. was saying. It's better, uh, it's warmer. Clive, Clive it's, is... Uh, <laughs> two sets <laughs> it's from madera but it's true uh, madera is super beautiful it's warm it? it's very touristic flowers the ocean but the azores uh, somehow there's some mystic to it because it's something in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the atlantic
0: and are there resorts there or five-star hotels or how is it there,
2: there are, there are yeah.
0: underdeveloped.
2: yeah but madera so is more is better few, for it very few
0: five-star
1: hotels but yeah. it's like two yeah. Yeah, in the Sorez on the main island. Yeah, there's maybe two five-star. But I mean, you know, when you go to an island like that, you're not looking to yeah. experience that. I you mean, want the
0: nature. Of, yeah, you want the nature. So you
1: know, apart from nature, there's a lot of boutique guest houses mm. and farms and those sorts of things, which are prepared for tourism. So you're not looking for resort or hotel. You're actually looking mm. for the Sores experience. You yeah. know? and it's a very, it's a very. Uh, it's a luxurious experience. It's
0: so, 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 you know, this word experience, I, I would say, and Kabi, we talked about the nomad lifestyle. OK, so people want different experiences and they want to move around. So if you you find a spot, it's human nature that after a while uh, you get tired of the same thing. OK, so, you know, there's an old saying, you don't buy three things. You don't buy the plane. You don't buy the yacht and you don't buy the, the mistress. <laughs> okay, so certain things can be rented, right? So you rent the place, plane, you rent the yacht because you'll get tired of going on the same yacht over and over and over again. You'd want some change. So when Pedro says, oh, I was thinking about buying a property, I'm hearing him. I've also had that aspiration certain times when I was in Phuket and a beautiful resort and the beach is perfect and you feel you want to buy it. But then you go for a holiday to Maldives and you say, oh, this is even better. So they both have different experiences. But you can't own property in all the perfect places. You can't have it in Manhattan and have it in in, in Miami. But every place has a charm, okay? Miami's got a different charm to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. LA's got a different charm. I'm sure if you came to Cape Town, it's got a different charm. Uh, if you've got enough money, you can buy it all over. But this is another interesting point I see where people will hold all their assets on their laptop and their phone, okay? And they'll travel the world with their assets, okay? And their assets will be able to be sold in 10 minutes, mm-hmm. any time of the day or night when they need money. So you, you wouldn't want to put your money in private equity. Example, there's a difference between public equity and private equity. If I, if I invest in Kabir's hair business, a million dollars, And now I want my million dollars back. I have to have a conversation with Kabir, convince him this is why I need to exit. Because if he's used up that money, I have to talk to him and this. But if I need my million dollars out of Tesla, I just click a button online on Robinhood, sell my shares, I get my money. But that stock market closes at certain time of the day and night. It closes on the weekend. This is how I see the crypto space also going where you'd get a token in the future. To represent maybe tesla's share so if if i want to sell it at 12 o'clock on a friday night i'd still be i'll be holding the token that represents that tesla share and and kabir we spoke about this nomad lifestyle i think after COVID, when you watch things settle down there's going to be more than a million people that don't go back to the office that will take their laptops and travel the world sit in bali and run their business, whether it's uh, working for one of the big companies in America, but they'll be sitting in Bali still doing their work, but their assets will be on their laptops and their assets will be in the crypto, I would say space or, or like a classification, but holding property and holding whatever assets be it decentralized, be it metaverse, even if it be physical space. Okay. Uh, so how you get a property REIT, maybe you get a property that owns properties in Manhattan okay it represents physical ownership that could be tokenized and you can hold yes. that token what's your right. thoughts on that so so that's that is
1: exactly the uh, some, a new innovation that has emerged out of this right i mean a lot of people are talking about tokenizing assets right and what's happening is exchanges are now developing right to actually promote tokenized assets, right? Mm. So in South Africa, one recent such transaction is ZARX, ZARX, which is a local Mm. alternative stock exchange has been bought by a company in Hong Kong. Uh, Actually, a friend of mine, Simon Littlewood is the guy in charge of that transaction and they bought ZARX specifically to sell tokenized uh, securities. You know, Mm. So that's it. I mean, they will look at international REITs, tokenize them on the ZAICs, thus giving uh, access to South African investors to the tokenized security and exposure to a portfolio, like you say, in another country, or locally for that matter, or across Africa. So it is becoming uh, easier to actually um, participate in, in, in sort of what do you call it, that side, you know, what used to be traditionally known as uh, the mainstream sort of markets, you know, not the informal markets like where we grew up in, in the shops in Marabastat. I mean, you're talking about the companies that are listed on Wall Street. So it's becoming easier to get to that point and to list uh, onto, onto these sorts of exchanges. And, I mean, people are now, with this whole cryptocurrency sort of, um, journey. I think people are now more affable to participating in slightly higher risk investments, if you want to call it that. I don't think people are as traditional about investing as they were. This younger generation and these millennials. I mean, their their behavior is just uh, it's erratic, man. It's totally erratic. I mean, they they are how do I say it? They're not rebellious. Yes, sec, Sorry. Uh, cut me. Are you with me? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just they make they make these decisions based on very simple sort of criteria. What did my friend say about it? Is it available on TikTok? And other Instagrammers talking about it. And that's the investment hmm. decision done and dusted.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Everything is changing.
0: I think it's a different space because my nephew is like 14 years old. He's got a new screen and a keyboard. I bought him online and we set him up with Binance and he trades crypto. It's a fraction of a Bitcoin valuation, but he trades crypto. But he, in his free time, puts his headphones on and he's playing Fortnite with his friends. Okay. He's investing in the exact same commodity and space where I'm investing. And I'm 40 years old sitting in an office that runs assets. Okay. But exactly what you're saying now. His temperament and my temperament's two different things, but we're in the same investment arena.
1: Yeah, and and you have the same idea somewhat. It's just mm. how you get to that sort of uh, decision or conclusion is very very different.
0: Mm. Kabir, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. It was very interesting. We'll see where we could. Uh, catch up in another few months' time to have uh, continued conversation and 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 obviously get the updates on what's happening in the space. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation.
1: No, fantastic. It's you know this is a very nice initiative that you guys have. I think uh, as the critical mass of the viewership grows, I firmly believe that uh, a lot of people are going to gain value out of these conversations. You need to consider Clubhouse as well and running a Clubhouse session uh, with the Good Hope podcast. You know, look at the other channels that are uh, available to actually proliferate this message. Mm. Um, don't just stick to the Zoom, YouTube. I think there's a lot more you guys can do with this opportunity and this discussion. And maybe try and integrate those those other uh, channels into this podcast. So... For example, if you give access to or you set up your clubhouse on your app and have this session on Zoom, on YouTube, as well as on clubhouse, you may have people Mm -hmm. dropping in on this conversation uh, from various Mm -hmm. areas of the world that have interest in in what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you never know. I mean, sometimes you may get someone who's actually has the potential to add value to the current podcast and uh, with the podcast permission of your guests you may be able to allow those people in your room and let them contribute to the conversation so i'm just saying there's many ways that the good hope podcast can evolve you know mm-hmm. and there's many tools out there that can allow us to actually reach the audience we want to reach you know mm-hmm. so the one difficulty in developing a podcast is the resilience to stick it through to a point where you get critical mass you know mm-hmm. and the best way to do that is to just Position yourselves and and in your mind that you're just getting together to chat and grow.
2: That's it. You're
1: not doing this for anything else. But at the same time, I mean, use the tools that are available to you to actually increase and
0: improve your reach.
1: Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) You see, like in a marriage, they say it's always better when you marry your best friend. Right. So in this podcast, I already like Petro and Petro likes <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. So when whoever the guest is every week, whether they come or don't come, whether we got one listener or not, no listeners, Petro and I have enough to talk about and we enjoy each other's conversation. Hence, we started the podcast. So this I is why I don't feel bad going blank Yeah. 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 It's fine. It's fine. It's, what, totally fine. it's like um, it's just more meaningful and has more passion. When we really want to talk to each other. You know, it. we're not doing it as a marketing thing. We're not doing it to promote our company. We do it because we just enjoy this one or two hours conversation once or twice, a, I mean once a week, to learn from each another. And that's all we're doing is learning. Okay. I, I learned so much from every guest. I learned so much from Pedro. And you don't only have to have one mentor to learn from. And knowledge is key. And and you know, this is I wanna end off on an important thing, something which there's there's over a billion muslims in the world okay and and you need to ask yourself when the angel gabriel came down to the prophet muhammad he only said one thing first to the prophet muhammad okay he didn't say pray he didn't say prostrate he didn't say sacrifice the whole world knows the answer because it's the first thing in the quran there it it was said read read in the name of your lord okay and why did he say read? Why did he not say prostrate? Why did, This is my thinking. Because you need knowledge. If you don't read, you don't gain knowledge. So, okay, I'm going to put it in our context. You can search on YouTube to gain knowledge in the right topics. Okay? The problem is nowadays, no one's reading. No one's When you don't have education on Bitcoin, you can't have a conversation. Yeah. You have to go and read. So, if you know about nomad lifestyle, if you know about the stock exchange, if you know about scalability and technology, and the love and the passion that I found in 5,000 Miles and the good old podcast, and I'm saying this out as a compliment to you, Pedro, Mm. it's by partnering with Pedro, it gave me global view and a global access and a reach uh, of a vision. So being a small guy in Durban, Uh, You're limited to your surroundings, but being part of 5,000 miles and having offices internationally just, in a way, increases my lodge on a global aspect. And that, to me, is priceless. And and you spoke about experiences. okay? That is an enjoyment and a satisfaction that I get working with 5,000 miles and the good old podcast. It's that you might not see the bank balance go up, but your mind is going up every day.
2: And I feel it, for example, whenever, some, you know, in the entrepreneurship, you have hard days. But for example, I went now to South Africa. I was there in our office. When I'm there, you know, everything connects because you understand that the network of offices really has value. It's completely different for me to go. It's your node. To center node. In, in 2018, before we had the office there. Or now, and I arrive there, there is a team, they are working, there is an office uh i have people to talk with i have you as my partner as my friend it's totally it, it, the model speaks for itself because you feel it yeah
1: you feel it w- when were you last year Pedro? uh
2: two weeks ago one week ago
1: when are you coming again
2: uh maybe september i think
1: Okay, so then I'm going to task you with a very important task,
2: right?
1: Okay. Extremely, it, extremely, is it's more it, important. I have, I I have bring, a large luggage, uh, so
2: you can... Yeah.
1: It's to bring some
0: pastel natas.
1: pastel natas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Please, please. Oh, it's amazing. You know, last uh, time I was okay, there, oh, not
2: now, it. but in 2019, uh, I saw pastel natas for sale in uh, Woolworths. Woolworths.
1: Yeah. no you get them Pedro but it's not the same it's not like that come on I, okay.
2: <laughs> I didn't bought them so the I don't the know
1: right, man. they don't it's either too eggy or something or something yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. they can't do it uh, that way yeah, I think
2: the difficult part to replicate at least outside of Portugal is this crunchiness because pastel mm-hmm. de nata here in Portugal combines the soft mm-hmm uh Cream, but there is yeah. a crunch on that yeah. uh exactly. on that pastry. On the um, outer pastry, but yeah, and outside is everything like, is soft. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it! I love where this podcast has gone to. So, which is I, which is my favorite? Which is your favorite pastries in
2: Lisbon? Uh, the most famous ones and my favorite are the Belém ones. Uh,
0: okay nice oh, so something Skabir we, we can't yeah. bring from Portugal here we need to go jump on a plane go there and eat it yeah. and
2: enjoy stay it. in queue those guys are boat. amazing I always get almost shocked because you arrive there at the source There is one yeah. one of these uh, shops that sell and manufactures This most famous one the oldest one is a very old shop there is always like 100 people in queue waiting to be served mm-hmm. and you enter and the service is terrible you know <laughs> It's like they, but the, 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 the sweet is so good that and that still holds. But yeah, if it was yeah. an American company, it would have like 50 shops around the world in a franchise, franchise model expanding. The model, yeah. Not these guys. And the
1: other thing I miss, Pedro, is Zuber's, Zuber's uh, Frango. You no, know Zubers. I
2: don't know, but I know Franco. I know Franco, how we do it here. No, you
1: have to go and try Zubers. <laughs> it is just off, off uh, Avenida do America.
2: Okay. Zubers. Not too
1: far from there, yeah, Zubers. <laughs> and have a... you eaten at Zafran? Okay. Have you eaten at Zafran? No. In Lisbon? No. You must go to Zafran and tell mm. Bibi Kabir sent you. <laughs>
0: I've been there. I've been there. It's, okay? it's a beautiful. Go room. to Zafran
1: and just tell Bibi, Bibi Kabir sent you. Okay. Will be well looked after. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay.
1: All right, my uh, brother. Anyway, thank you, guys. Good chatting. Thank you. Good chatting Thanks. Guys. Right, keep in touch. Thank you, Kabir. It was Bye-bye. excellent having you. Bye. Thank, thank you.
2: you.